Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. concept of simple. For some reason, there are those who think unless it's complicated, it can't be good. But I've actually learned that complexity can be the killer of productivity. Why? Because, well, we get so wrapped up in the process and in the procedures of accomplishing an idea, we never get around to implementing the idea. Uh, What happens is we get weighed down where we find ourselves you know, stalling and procrastinating because we have this fear of, uh, or we can have this fear of failing to implement, right? There, there may be some of you right now in your life, you know there's something you need to do, but you are waiting for the right moment for more motivation to hit you. Like God, send me a herd of pink elephants down my street. Then I'll know this is what I'm to do. You know, you, you, we wait for something before we do what we know what we need to do. My Chinese missionary grandfather liked to quote this Chinese proverb, which says, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. We get so overwhelmed with the scope of a thousand mile journey that we we become paralyzed to simply just take the first step. Sometimes we need to, to strip away the complexity and enormity of the task we feel that lies before us and simply do the simple thing we can do today and then repeat it tomorrow and the next day. Because I can be overwhelmed by the goal, which is a thousand miles out there, you know, to where I just do nothing. But, you know, I can see myself taking one step today. So there are these times when we need to go back. We need to keep it simple. We need to focus on what I can do right now. And that's the simple thing. It's the most basic thing. Where and how can I start this thousand mile journey today. Now, I know you all love NFL football like me, right? <laughs> but there's a great stories that come out of uh, NFL. There's, there's that great, that, that tremendous story about how back in July 1961, legendary coach Vince Lombardi gathered together the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers. It was their first day of training camp for the new season. The team had just finished the last season by squandering a lead that they had over the Philadelphia Eagles in the final quarter of the game and thus losing the championship. And that was a horrific embarrassment. That was a loss which hung over every member of that Green Packer team over the the, the offseason. And Coach uh, Vince Lombardi, he'd been thinking about it as well. So the players come to this training camp ready to work hard and advance their game skills to the next level. However, Coach Lombardi had a different idea. In his best-selling book, When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi, author David Moranis explains what happened when Lombardi walked into that very first day, the training camp, back in the summer of 1961. Coach Lombardi took nothing for granted. He began a tradition of going back to the basics and starting from scratch and keeping it simple. He began with the assumption that each football player was a blank slate who carried over no knowledge from the year before. With that in mind, Lombardi began his training camp, the most elemental, elemental, uh, rudimental uh, statement of all. He would say, gentlemen, looking at his players, holding a football in his hand, his right hand, he would say these words. This is a football. This is a football. 
And Labardi's coaching a group of three dozen professional athletes who just months prior come so close to winning the national championship. And yet he started at the very beginning. Guys, this is a football. Last week, we looked at um, three places uh, Joshua would have us visit with others. Uh, he visited the place where you commemorate God's goodness together. Remember, they had built a symbol of these memorial stones to, so others would know uh, how God led them through the Jordan River when it was impassable. Uh, we need that in our life. We need symbols to remind us of God's goodness, His intervention, the miracles. And not just for our sake, but we can tell others. You say, why do you have that? What does that symbol mean? You can say, this is how God worked in my life. And secondly, you consecrate yourselves together for God because we want, we want obedience to be convenient, right? We want to, we'll be obedient to God as long as it doesn't cost me anything. It's comfortable. It doesn't have, there's no pain to it. But God wants to know, are you willing to follow him even when it's not easy? You know, before you enter the promised land, before you enter heaven, God wants to know, does he have your heart? You, heaven's already ours as Christians, but what he wants to know is, do I have your heart today? Do you trust me? Are you set apart completely for me? Will you consecrate or sanctify yourself apart for me and my purposes? And then thirdly, they celebrated together because after a successful uh, battle, they, they had a Passover dinner, which reminded them how God has been faithful in the past of delivering them out of Egypt. And so these, these are important places to visit. We still need to visit and do it with others. I mean, celebrating alone isn't as great as celebrating with others, what God has done and what he's doing. So after, you know, they, they did go up to Jericho. They were successful in overcoming Jericho. You remember the story, the walls fell down. And after that uh, victory, Joshua and the people experienced uh, defeat. They had their victorious in Jericho. They did as God said. Everything worked the plan. And then they would go up to the city called Ai. And the city should have been an easy battle. I mean, Joshua didn't even send up all his fighting men. He just sent up, I think, 3,000 of them because this was going to be a piece of cake. And yet they were defeated. It was discovered later the reason why they had failed. It was because a man among them by the name of Achan had sinned. He had disobeyed God's instructions where he took some of the, the, uh, the, the spoils, the riches from Jericho, and kept it for himself. And God said, this is not the time and the place to do that. And the result was the sin of this one man. One man affected the whole camp. For God had removed his protection from Israel, and they lost an easy battle. And when the sin of Achan had been discovered and was dealt with, Joshua sent the fighting man again up to Ai, and this time they experienced victory. After the failure and then success at Ai, Joshua knew this was not the time to rush ahead to the next thing. Like Coach Vince Lombardi, he was going to have to bring his people back to the basics of the relationship with God. Before he moved on to the next battle, he slowed to a stop. He called the people together. And what Joshua did next was he, he went back to the playbook and decided to follow through on the instructions that his coach and his mentor, Moses, had given his people years ago. It was all the way back in the, in, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 27. Moses tells the people, after you cross the Jordan River, build this altar of stones on Mount Ebal. And we read you know, Moses' instructions. He says to this in Jer uh, Deuteronomy, when you cross the Jordan River and enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, set up some large stones and coat them with plaster. 
Write this whole body of instruction on them when you cross the river to enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. So Moses said, like, when you cross the Jordan, stop, you know, enter the promised land, stop and give an offering to God. Give a thanks offering to God on this altar. Build this altar and do that. And then stop and recognize his blessing in your life and his direction in your life. Do these things. And then he said, now, then right, go back to the instructions that God has given us, like the Ten Commandments and other instructions, the blessings and the curses, and, you know, and focus on them. Read them. Focus on them. And that's exactly what Joshua did because that was Deuteronomy chapter 27. Joshua 8, many years later, we read this. After they, you know, they crossed the Jordan, they, they had failure and then success. Joshua knew, okay, we got to stop here. And we read this. Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. He followed the commands that Moses, the Lord's servant, had written him in the book of instruction. Joshua then read them all, read them all, the blessings and curses Moses had written in the book of instruction. Every word of every command that Moses had ever given was read to the entire assembly of Israel. They were together, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. So why, why did Joshua follow through on Moses' instructions? Because the people needed to be renewed from their sin. So Joshua stops. He provides them the means and the place to give sacrificial offerings to say, God, we're sorry for how we've fallen short. He publicly copied God's laws onto new stones and gathered the people together, and he read them along with all the blessings and curses. And Joshua did this at the exact location Moses said, told them to do it, to assemble together at Mount Ebal. So immediately following the victory over Ai, Joshua recommitted Israel to renew their covenant with God. He took people back to the basics. Joshua essentially assembled the people together and he said to them, folks, this is a football. The renewal of, of the covenant showed people's gratitude for God for bringing them through the victory, for bringing them through the trials. It also reinstated their commitment to obey God's commands as he led them to take uh, to, as, as he led them to take the rest of the promised land. And I just need to say that again, because this is important. They took the time to reinstate their commitment to, to obey God, to obey his instructions, as he would continue to lead them the rest of the way into the promised land. We need to do that. Wherever we are, we need to stop at times and say, God, I'm renewing my commitment. I'm going to obey you. I am trusting you for what's to come. So I thought, you know, because of that, this would be a good place for us to visit today as well. Because, you know, I, many of us have sat in more church services than we could ever count. But it's good for us to, to stop and go back to the basics, assuming that maybe we know nothing. We're a blank slate like Lombardi did with his uh, his football players. It's good for us to go back and to the simple foundation which we built upon these years of faith. If we want success, if we want God to continue to lead us in the future, we need to go back to the basics and because that's where we build on that. That's where success is built on. So just uh, as a side note, for interesting uh, trivia, the Green Bay Packers, after Lombardi said this is a football and back to basics that season in July 1961, uh, they won that year. They won that year. But it happened because they went back to the simple basics of what it meant 
to play the game. And we need to do that too. So today, as we assemble together, as God instructs us to in Hebrews 10, 25, we're going to go back to the basics of our faith. We're coming to church today. And the message is this, folks. This is a football. Okay, let's go. So I, I decided, you may know Bill Bright. Bill Bright uh, was the founder of Campus Crusade, a ministry for university students. He also produced that movie, Jesus, the Jesus film back in 1979, which has been seen in more languages than any other movie has ever been translated into. In fact, it is, it is called the most uh, watched movie of all time. Back in 1952, Bill Bright wrote a book entitled The Four Spiritual Laws, and the booklet outlines the biblical essentials, the foundation of the Christian faith concerning salvation. So I thought, let's look at those today. These are, these are like the building blocks. These are the basic um, things we need to know. So let's go back today. Uh, the first of the four spiritual laws is this. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Boy, do we need to know that we are loved, <laughs> that, that I matter, that I have worth, that I have value. And the most basic Bible verse we know, that the first verse I learned, the first verse many of you learned was John 3.16, where it simply begins telling us this, for God so loved, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. This is, this is where it begins. God loves you. You need to know this before anything else. God loves you so much, this verse says, that he gave. That this is what you do when you love someone. You don't take from them. You give to them. You don't try to figure out, you know, what is in it for me. Rather, you seek, to, you, you seek what can I add to their life? What value can I add to their life? So God loved you so much. He gave the most valuable of his resources, his son, Jesus, this verse says to you. Why? Because God loves you so much. He does not want to see you perish, but instead have everlasting life with him in heaven. And the only way we can know everlasting life is through Jesus. And we're going to see why in a moment. But God, for God so loved the world, for God loved you that he gave you his one and only son, that if you would believe in him, you will not have to perish, but have everlasting life with him. So the first spiritual law is God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. All of us um, find such needed assurance when God says to us, he said to his people and says to us, for I, I know I have, the, I have plans for you, right? Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good, thank you, and not for disaster, wonderful, to give you a future and a hope. So God first said this to his people when they were living in exile. They needed hope. They needed to know they had a future because it didn't look like it right when, where they were. And I can't see anyone today saying, I don't need hope. I don't want hope. <laughs> all of us want hope. All of us need hope. And the good news God says, I, the good news is God says, I will give you this hope because God values you. He loves you. He has a plan for you and he wants to give you hope and a future. We read in Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. Wow, we are God's masterpiece. If you want to feel like, am I valued? Am I loved? Do I matter? Just, just read those words and memorize those. For we are God's masterpiece, the Bible says. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he has planned for us long ago. So would you just understand today, you're not an accident. You were created on purpose, for a purpose. You're not junk. Rather, you are God's 
masterpiece. You can know and you can be certain that you're created by God, it says here, to do the good things he planned for you long ago. So this is the football. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. What a great place to start. That, that just, so let's carry on. Let's go. So the second spiritual law is this. Humanity is tainted by sin and is therefore separated from God. In other words, we are all sinners. We don't like to think about that. We don't want to focus on that. We don't like to think of ourselves as, as sinners, but the fact is we are. I remember uh, years ago, a few years ago, uh, being in Oceanside, California, where there's this beautiful, large, uh, wooden, historical fishing pier jetting out 1,942 feet out into the ocean. It, and it's a very busy place. It's a popular place uh, just north of San Diego and Oceanside. If you're ever there, go out in this pier. And I've been there a couple of times. And uh, once Glenn and I walked the entire pier in, and we were rewarded by a lunch at one of our favorite restaurants, the Ruby's Diner at the end. They have a restaurant at the end of this pier. But I remember the very first time I visited there with my friend, uh, Pastor Dave, McMillan and um, I, I saw something there. I'd, I'd seen maybe uh, in, in TV shows and movies, but never saw it in person. So it intrigued me. At the very, you know, as, as people walked onto this pier, uh, there was a young fellow dressed in a suit and he was yelling out to people, all who were coming to the pier, he was yelling these words You are sinners. You're all sinners. Now, what he said wasn't untrue. We're all sinners. The Bible's clear. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. That's the truth. Everyone on the ocean pier that day were sinners, including me. We have all sinned. You have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glorious standard. And I stood off to the side and watched the young fellow yelling out to everyone, you know, telling them, you're sinners. And, you know, I never saw, as I stood there watching, I never saw one person go up to him and say, thanks for sharing. Wow, I didn't know. Thanks for sharing this with me. Uh, I never saw that, but I went up to him after a while, introduced myself and said, you know, why, your message is true. You know, thank you. The message is true, but it may not be the most advantageous way of sharing this truth with others. Because people don't like to hear that or want to hear that, though it's true. We need to communicate that to them. Uh, we're all sinners. We don't like hearing it. We have difficulty accepting this uh, truth. And if you do, uh, I heard this illustration I like, and, and let me just let me just share it with you. Uh, oh, this begins with a question. Do you think you are, you are as good as God? None of us would say we are as good as God. So for the sake of illustration, what if we gave God 100 of 100 on the goodness scale, right? And then let's say uh, on the goodness scale, we would give a serial killer a 5, <laughs> a 5 out of 100. And someone like Billy Graham, we might give them a 75. But if you ask someone, you know, where are you between one and a hundred? They'll never say a hundred. Um, we're not as good as God. They may say, hey, I'm no Billy Graham. I'm, I'm, I'm not a 75, but neither am I a five, like a serial killer. So uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'm a 40 or, or a 50. It really doesn't matter where you're on the scale because the fact is, no matter how good we are or how good we try to be, we will never reach. We all fall short of the glorious standard of God, who's a hundred which is required to enter heaven. As the Bible says, we all fall, fall short of God's, God's glorious standard. Or as you read in the Bible, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins, right? That's true. So this leaves us with a problem. Like we're doomed, which like I want heaven. I, I you know, and, and, and I want, I want to have that everlasting life. 
but you know, I, I'm doomed. I, I, I can never measure up. I can never be good enough, which leads to the third spiritual law. Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin, for our falling short. See, God who loves you so much came to us as one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. And Jesus never sinned. He was a hundred. He was without sin. He went to the cross without sin. And there he paid the price. He took our sin upon himself and paid for all of the short, falling short parts in our life, for all the sin in my life. God's word tells us this about Jesus. He personally carried our sins. Can you imagine what that'd be like? On the cross, Jesus took uh, the, the, the guilt, the shame, the, the consequences. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. Wow. You can be dead to sin. And you can live for what is right. That happens through Jesus and what he did on the cross. Romans 5.8 tells us, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, we didn't get our act together and then, you know, got all good and, and righteous. And then Jesus came and died for us. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And the only way we can come to Jesus is as a sinner. If you try to wait, do you feel like you're good enough? You'll be waiting your whole lifetime and die as a sinner. You, you have to come to him just as you are, messed up, fallen, guilty. And Jesus will exchange his righteousness for our sin. In a sense, you know, he's given us his hundred so we can stand before God one day with his righteousness and not my own. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord for that. And what Jesus is wanting to give you is a gift. And the gift is called grace. That's what this gift is, this exchange of his Righteousness for my sin. It's called grace because none of us earn it. We learn this in the Bible. God saved you. How? By his grace. When you believed. And you can't take credit for this. I can't take credit for this. I can say, well, I'm up here and you're down there. Because it's a gift. I can't say I earned this. I worked hard for this. That over my lifetime, I've gained enough points to, to, uh, to uh, enter heaven. No, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Would we understand that? That's religion. That's not God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Because So none of us can boast about this. None of us can look down at someone else because all of us have fallen short. All of us are sinners. All of us have are in need of Jesus Christ. So if you feel like, like wow, that's I, I'm unworthy of that gift. Well, it's because you are, and so am I. I'm guilty of sin, and so are you. And if you really feel distraught about your sin, if you're truly bothered by what you've done, by all those falling short moments in your life, then congratulations. This is where salvation and eternal life begins. It begins with a confession. It begins by admitting and knowing you are a sinner. The third spiritual law is Jesus Christ is the only provision for our sin. And the fourth one is this. We must then place our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior in order to receive the gift of salvation and know God's wonderful plan for our lives. So it begins with admitting and knowing you are a sinner. And that means you have to put your pride aside. You have to humble yourself and confess the truth. I am a sinner. But it's not just enough to know this truth. You have to do something about what you know. You have to ask Jesus, Lord, would you exchange your righteousness for my sin? You have to know and then you have to ask. The Bible says, but if we confess our sins to him, if we tell him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So if we know, if we confess, if we ask, Jesus is faithful to forgive you. But it's not just enough really to know and to do, because God looks at the heart. You know, we can say things, but not mean them. So he wants to know, are you truly sincere about this feeling sorry? And, and are you truly sincere by admitting and confessing that you're not worthy and how you need him and you need Jesus in your life? This week, um, Glenda shared a quote from a book she's reading by John Mark Comer. It says, knowing something is not the same as doing something, which is still not the same as wanting to do something. <laughs> if you know and you do accept Jesus, it's because you simply want to be free. If you know and you do accept Jesus, it's because you sincerely want to be free from the consequences of your sin. You'll have freedom. Like this is, comes from the heart. This isn't just words. You mean this and you are saved. And Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you. And you will know everlasting life with God in heaven. You see, the only difference between the people living with God today, forever in heaven, and those who are living eternally without God in hell, isn't, it isn't based on their intelligence. It isn't based on their bank account or how successful they were. It isn't based upon their appearance. But rather, it's based on this one fact, whether or not they humble themselves before God and confess. I need your help, God. I can't do this by myself. And I mean it. Look at my heart. I mean this, and I'm ready to live it. Now, people say Christianity is a crutch for weak people. Man, that's not true. <laughs> for the toughest test of self-esteem and confidence is to humbly confess, I can't make it on my own. I can't do this by myself. That's tough. To set your pride aside, to, let, to get your ego out of the way and realize, I need help. That's a big deal. Now, there's always been a lot of religions in the world, and there always will be until God sends Jesus back and, and the history of this broken world comes to an end. But religion is spelled this way. It's spelled D-O, do. You always try to work. You always earn the goodness you know that is needed. And, and you do, 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 do. The problem is you will never arrive. You will never uh, uh, have enough. And so your life will always be a do, 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 do. But, but, but Jesus is spelt this way. Religion is spelt do, but Jesus is spelt this way, done, D-O-N-E. He has already accomplished what you can't do on your own and what you need to inherit eternal life. You just need to know this, confess this, accept this, and then follow it. The truth is simple. It isn't complicated. Jesus says, Friends, my, my people, this is the football. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, as the one who saves you, who makes up the difference of where you've fallen short, if you want to do that today, say the following words to God. And saying these, saying these words will not save you, but trusting in Christ will. The prayer is a simple way to express to God your faith in Him, and thank him for providing you salvation. So say these words with me. God, I know that I sinned against you and deserve punishment. But Jesus Christ took the punishment that I deserve so that through faith in him, I could be forgiven. I place my trust in you for salvation. Thank you for your wonderful grace and forgiveness, the gift of eternal life. Amen. 
If you said that prayer, I would love to know. I would love to know so I can be praying for you. Email me, text me, get a hold of the church. Just so I just would love to know so I can say, I'm praying for this one. God who made that decision, who changed the direction of their life forever, from hell to heaven, from life without you to life with you. I'll be so, be so thrilled and want to congratulate you today on the most important decision of your life. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more 